For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thine whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And now turning to James chapter 5. We're going to read the first seven verses. Go to now. And those words mean pay attention. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the earthly, the early and the latter rain. So far, God's reading. Loved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in the last days, don't we? And what are we doing in these last days of the earth? Are we heaping up treasures for ourselves here on earth? In the days of the coming of the Son of Man, shouldn't we be gathering up treasures in heaven? There's a warning here by James for the church of his day and for believers also today. One of the great threats for the church today is materialism. Materialism that marks the world that we live in, where it goes eating and drinking as they did in the days of Noah before the flood. And the danger is that we get caught up in the world that we live in. We live in a very materialistic age here in the United States, and it's easy for the church also to get caught up in that materialism. So we have a warning here from James regarding materialism. 
Notice who that who is addressed here in our text. Their wickedness set forth, and then the predicted judgment. So who are addressed? The wickedness set forth, and the predicted judgment. Who are addressed? Many commentators say that James is addressing only the unbelieving rich people outside the churches. That's the conclusion of John Kelvin, Kistemacher, Linsky, good commentators. We don't know whether he's referring to Jews or Gentiles. Not easy to determine that. They say that then the address that is given in verse 1 is a figure of speech, which it's imagining that group there, but you're really not talking to them. They're not, abs- they're not there. It'd be like maybe in a church service where we're warning about the evils of Arminian teaching, even though, hopefully, there's no Arminians here. That's one possibility. The rich may be outside the congregations, but it could very well be that the rich that are spoken of here are those in the congregations who have a dead faith. Because you will remember that that is the main theme in James. Genuine faith versus counterfeit faith. A living faith or a dead faith. Which is yours? Members of the congregation who do not live out of their living faith but are denying it. You see, nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than his view of money, and material possessions. There are many who profess Christ, but they invalidate their claim to genuine saving faith through their opulent, indulgent, materialistic lifestyle. A clear indication that they serve wealth and not God. And so we read, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes to the congregations when persecutions, sufferings, and oppression were widespread in the early church. Christianity had been established long enough for there to be not only persecution and suffering, but also oppression, oppression of some in the church by others in the church. And James' blistering, scathing denunciation condemns those who profess to worship God, but in fact are worshiping their billfolds. He calls them to examine the true state of their hearts in light of how they feel about their wealth. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. 
This is also in harmony with the tradition of all the Old Testament prophets, isn't it? Let me read just some of those with you. From First of all, from Isaiah. <coughs> I'm going to look first of all at Isaiah chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? Oppression by some Israelites, the wealthy Israelites against the poor and those who are working for them. We turn then to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. And we read there, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lead field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears saith the Lord of hosts of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield one epheth. Again, woe against those who are building more and more places and barns for their own pleasure. Go to then to Isaiah chapter 10, the first two verses. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees that write grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation and the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help? And where will ye leave your honor? Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. And for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. A couple passages from Isaiah. Then we go to Amos. Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this, ye kine, that means cows, boys and girls, Ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your prosperity with fish hooks. Amos chapter 8. We read there, verses 4 through 6. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, Yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. I'm pointing this out 
Because as that kind of oppression took place in the Old Testament church, God's people, that oppression was starting also in the early church in the New Testament. Gone were the days when people were selling all that they had and giving it to the church, as we read of the early church. Now there is oppression. And we could go on between those two prophets that I've quoted to what Job says, or what Jeremiah says, or what Micah says, or what Malachi says. And I want you to notice from our text that Jeremiah's, or that James' address of his readers is in the second person. In other words, he is directing his conversation, that which is going to be read in the church, to their ears. Yes, the rich in the church, sadly, today too. Many in the church have accepted, are accepted and known as Christians because they talk about Jesus and they claim a superficial allegiance to him, yet their lifestyle reveals that they do not walk in obedience to his commandments. So they are busy gaining more wealth for themselves and with more wealth they have more time off so that rather than being in God's house on the Sabbath they are somewhere else enjoying another vacation gone from the house of of God to enjoy themselves and their sinful flesh. What a timely warning then for us today. Beware. Beware that you do not fall into the same sins that characterize unbelievers. They care only for themselves and not for God. We read in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Sins in the church. Wealth itself is not sin. To be rich is not sin. God made Abraham very wealthy. Job was a very wealthy man. But now, James is not talking about those kind of men, but he is addressing members in the church who are really primarily interested in the looks of others, the money that they can get, the places that they can get in society, and especially they do it at the cost of other saints. Here in North America, we are all really rich. I could say there's not one poor person in this congregation. Some have some more difficulties or so. But if you think of the Philippines, where on the streets they will try to sell individual sticks of gum or individual cigarettes just to get enough money to buy rice for their evening meal, Not one of us has that problem, do we? I think there's probably enough in our cupboards for at least a week, if not more. 
James is addressing these rich people who have their hearts set on material things and getting ahead in the world. He addresses them as wicked. In verse 3, we are told that their gold will witness against them. In verse 4, it indicates they have accumulated their riches in an evil matter. In other words, they were stealing. Verse 5, we read that they use their possessions in an evil way to fill up their own lustful desires. And in verse 6, we are told that they acquired their wealth ruthlessly. So again, we see how the evil world and the evil heart of the world so easily influences us also, doesn't it? The world is always striving for more. We read, whence come wars? Is it not from envy, from jealousy, from the lack of contentment? And so the materialism of the world is a temptation for all of us. Those who have much and those who have less. The theme of the world is, you deserve more. You will be happy if you have more of this or of that. Get whatever you can in any way possible, driven by greed and covetousness. And I want you to see then this evening that materialism is a God as real as Baal or Moloch. It is a false God, an idol that perhaps we are setting up in our homes, who are addressed, the wicked, that's what they're called, whether they're saints in the church who claim to be Christians or those outside in the world. Notice with me the wickedness that is set forth. They have accumulated, we read in verse 3, great wealth. James notes four sins that precipitate that severe judgment of God that is pronounced on the wicked. Number one, their wealth was uselessly hoarded. That's the end of verse three. Verse four, their wealth was unjustly gained. Verse five, their wealth was self-indulgently spent. Verse 6, their wealth was ruthlessly acquired. Let's look at those four. Uselessly hoarded. Let me read those verses. Hear ye mount... Nope, sorry. Back to James here. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver is cankered, the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. There is nothing wrong with saving up for a rainy day, making provision for the future. But we're not talking about that in verse 3. Rather, it is the person who is hoarding wealth. 
It is Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12 of the rich fool. His fields were producing abundantly. And he builds more and bigger barns to store it all in. So that he says, I'm going to save all that. I'm not going to give it away so that when I get older, I could just take it easy. I could eat, drink, and be merry. But God entrusts believers with material goods so that they may be used for God's glory. God gives us goods so that we may provide for our families so that we may advance the cause of the kingdom, so that we may care for those who are in need, the poor. We're talking here about those who name the name of Christ, who amass a a fortune for themselves that is uselessly stashed away without regard for God's will. Hoarding. Hoarding up riches, their wealth is increased. Storing up food, buying so much food so that it rots. Garments, more and more garments. Amilda there in the Philippines had 500 pairs of shoes. You can only wear one pair at a time. Metals, gold and silver, rusted and corrupted Maybe used here, frank, uh, used here figuratively. They thought it was gold, but it wasn't really gold at all. In other words, they thought it would help them in their life. And God takes it all away. It is foolishness. Solomon writes in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, Labor not to be rich. Cease from their own wisdom Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. All such treasures hoarded up are fleeting and transitory. And I've used the figure before. There's not a U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. It's gone. Uselessly hoarded. Instead of being used for the kingdom of God and the kingdom causes, when the collection plate goes past, nary a hand puts anything into it. Their wealth, second of all, is unjustly gained. They not only are guilty then of hoarding, but these wicked rich far from being generous to the poor, exploit them. Namely, they withhold their wages to the ones that have worked for them. Or at least they withhold part of their wages, not merely delaying payment, but not paying them for what they're really worth. They remain penniless. Leviticus 19, verse 13, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shalt not abide with thee all night until the morning. Or again, Deuteronomy chapter 24, Thou shalt not oppress a hired servant 
that is poor and needy. Whether he be of thine own brethren or of thy strangers that are in the land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, and setteth the heart upon it. Lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be a sin unto thee. Example of that was when my father was going to immigrate over to the United States. And he had a job lined up in Missouri. Except he asked too many questions. He found out really it was slave labor. The cost for staying in the, one of the farmer's houses and the groceries that you would buy from his store were more than this wage that he was going to be paid. And God's word says, the voices of those poor, kept down by the wealthy, will cry out unto the Lord of Sabaoth. The word crieth out means to shout or to scream to the Lord of Sabaoth. And that word means that God is a commander there, a commander of armies, an army called out to act in judgment against such injustice. Restaurants today getting away with paying a $2 wage to the workers. And you say, well, yeah, but they get their tips. Oh, yes, they do, except those who have to clean up at night the last two hours. There's no tips in those two hours, is it? $2 an hour in this age? Wealthy, trying to get wealthier at the hands of those who work for them. Third evil, wealth was self-indulgently spent. In other words, these wicked rich lived luxuriously. Think a moment of a lot of the slave owners down in the south, their big mansions with the columns in front of it and the little huts of their slaves behind it. Or think today of leaders in communist nations. They live in opulent places, mansions, whereas the other people have to share a little bit. Think a moment of how awful that is. We read of it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. Now that she is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers day and night, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. There's the contrast. You and I who consciously depend upon God, and that's what we're saying in most of our Psalter numbers, isn't it? We are wealthy regardless of the amount of money in our pocket. But those... Those who live in pleasure for themselves away from God, they are dead. They are dead. Wanton pleasure. Giving yourself to pleasure. What else can I get to make me happy? To make me like life better? In the scripture we have the prodigal son, don't we, in Jesus' parable. 
Give me my inheritance, Father. Dad isn't dead yet. And he goes into a faraway country and he loses it all in loose living. Oh, he could drink with the best life out there in the world until everything was gone. But they have fattened their hearts with pleasures, nourished or selfishly lavished themselves, indulged themselves. Do you remember the psalmist, boys and girls, in Psalm 73? That's where we had our call to worship from, didn't we? He was looking around and he was feeling envious because the wicked were prospering while he was suffering. Until he went into the temple of God and he saw their end, that they would be destroyed. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought down into destruction? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 of his life, obviously written at the end of his life. We read in chapter 2, verse 4 and following, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. And I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more and more all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works of my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and the vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun, no benefit whatsoever, lavishing themselves indulgently. Fourthly, the sin precipitated by the judgment, wealth that was ruthlessly acquired. That is the final downfall, the spiral that the rich that James is now rebuking. Having unjustly hoarded, robbed the poor, spent on self-indulgence, they went even further. They condemned and they put to death the righteous man. What a terrible thing. The world literally kills in order to maintain their opulent lifestyle. 
We went to war, didn't we? In Kuwait to liberate them. But what was the heart really? They owned the oil, and we need the oil. Think a moment, boys and girls, of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab had beautiful fields, beautiful vineyards, but he saw one close to his palace that he wanted, and he wanted it so bad that he could taste it. But the owner wouldn't sell it. It was his inheritance. No, said Naboth. Abel goes home crying to his wicked wife. And she says, you're a king. Quit your crying. You can do whatever you want. And you know the story. They made up stories, lies, that Naboth had blasphemed the Lord, and he was put to death. And Ahab walked then into his new vineyard. It was his and then came Elijah, huh? Then came Elijah with God's judgment. This soil, this soil, the dogs are going to lick up your blood. Isn't that still taking place? The mafia killing. If people don't have their loans, exorbitant loans, and they can't pay back, or if someone threatens their territory. Or shall we talk about little babies? Mothers or husbands who don't want any more children because it's going to intrude on their time of vacation, their wealth that they can have for things. One couple, I think I mentioned once before, one of my churches, seven years before they had any children. I felt even bad for them. I thought they can't have any. No, 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 no. We first wanted to establish ourselves and our work, and we wanted to get our house, and we wanted to get our nice things, and the paintings on the wall. And we'll have one more child. That's it. Because the Lord wants us to be happy. What sin? Children aborted because women or men do not want to be bothered with little children. You see, beloved, that wealth can be a blessing. It's a gift of God bringing the opportunity for us to do good. But it's only true of those who are rich in faith and rich in God. How do you, how do I use our wealth? We read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. 
That's where we began the sermon, isn't it? Where are we laying up treasures for ourselves? Here on earth, hoarding it, lavishly self-indulgence, hurting the poor, not caring for kingdom causes, or are we laying up treasures in heaven? For God will reward us for our works that he has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Sins of the wicked righteous. And God is not silent, is he? God speaks. He condemns that exploitation by employers. God insists that the employer, that the employee do submit to the employer. There are some who would take our text here in James and say, see, here's the right for labor unions. No, it's not. It's got nothing to do with labor unions. Labor unions is the employees trying to make sure they get their fair share. We don't have that right. God does. We submit or we leave that job and find a better job. Not labor unions. Notice with me thirdly, the predicted judgment. What does God's word say? Get back to James again. Go to now. That is, pay attention, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. In other words, what he's saying is weep by howling. What he's talking about is an intense outburst of despairing, violent, uncontrollable grief. Do you know, O rich people, what God's judgment is. Do you know the miseries that will come upon you? That's what James is saying to these wicked, rich people in the church who are caring only about themselves and not about others. Miseries will fall upon you. You see, they face a judgment because God is a righteous God. And God is a God who witnesses what our life is all about. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. And there is then a judgment coming upon those wicked rich throughout their whole life. Weep and howl, or weep by howling. In other words, here is a dramatic call to repentance. A call to repentance in light of the otherwise destructive in. Become wise. Realize what you're hoarding, what you're hurting others is going to earn for you. God's anger. All of their life, 
but especially also at death. Those rich people that the psalmist Asaph was looking at in Psalm 73, he thought that they had no care in the world, that their life was wonderful, until he came into God's house and he saw that God is not acting in love to those wicked people, but in his wrath. He's setting them up for their own slaughter as pigs, their fall, judgment. Judgment now, and also utter desolation when the fullness of God's wrath is poured out. Present judgment. The wicked lose their possessions. How many stocks have you invested in? How are they doing now? Oh, for a little while they were climbing, weren't they? And then all of a sudden, again, they drop to almost nothing. You got extra food in the fridge, more food than what you can eat, and so they say in America here that about half of the food that is produced is wasted. It's dumped out in the trash. Judgment. The wrong use of what God has given to us as stewards May we not be judged as guilty, being worthy of hellfire. May we not defraud others in order to get ahead because their cries are going to come up to the Lord against us. And all of our works will enter the judgment. Also the use of our money, material things, and being apart from Christ, and rich in Christ, it's dreadful. What a loud voice of misery. Weep by howling for your miseries that shall come upon you. Written for God's saints, then and also now today, so that we may ponder, how am I acquiring my wealth and how am I using that wealth, lest we be found guilty? When I think about it, how we can rejoice that in Christ Jesus there is forgiveness for our sins regarding material things, May we mourn for the way we have at times acquired in how we have used our wealth. And may that mourning, by a sincere sorrow to God, turn into laughter at God's grace. He is so merciful to us. How we desire then to be instructed by Christ Jesus in his word. Yes, listening. To the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy, this is what you have to preach about. Warn the rich not to trust in their gains or their wealth. Rather, good stewards, given health so that we can go to work, given means to acquire things, given wisdom how to use it, 
for God's glory, for God's kingdom, for ourselves and for others' benefit. But we're not quite done there. There's not just a warning about the rich wicked or the wicked rich. But there is also here comfort. The comfort of God's oppressed. For in this world, really, the church is always going to be oppressed. And our cry comes up before the God of heaven. He knows us. He's with us. And in this life, he holds us in his hand and will never allow us to fall out of it. But he preserves us. Be of good faith. Be comforted. God cares for his church. Amen. Father in heaven, forgive us when at times we live like the world. That our one aim in life is to get more, to get more of the world's goods, to get more wealth, to increase ourselves, to use it only for ourselves and not giving lavishly for thy kingdom causes or caring for those who are poor. Warn us, Father. Warn us as those early believers in the church of the New Testament, we're warned by James. Warn us so that we may turn our ways looking to thee for wisdom, strength, to use our wealth wisely for thy glory, for thy kingdom, and for one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.